has challenged some of the assumptions that I certainly saw six or seven years ago. When, when we look at like the UK versus other markets, we're quite a long way behind on those things. But I'm wondering, looking at these stats, whether there's a bit of a hare and a tortoise thing going on. I'm kind of thinking ahead about like what is what does the third stage look like? Digital transformation is about taking the technology and transforming the relationship with the client. A lot of what has happened it will deliver a degree of additional profitability because you increase efficiency. But what it what it doesn't do is. Ian Phillips is a bona fide veteran of the accounting software space. In a sales career that spanned nearly 20 years, Ian has spent eight of those at zero as a field salesperson, progressing through into head of field sales and now into head of sales generally for Zero UK. Now, what really sets Ian apart from his counterparts in sales is his ability to listen, connect the dots from various different customers' uh, source points, and then really come out with fantastic insights that he can then share for the benefit of his colleagues and his customers. So it was great to sit down today and talk about the industry insights report that Zero's just published on the accounting and bookkeeping professions. So without further ado, let's get into it. Ian, so thanks so much for sending across the uh, the advanced copy of the industry performance report for 2023. I've had a quick look through it. Um, appreciate you only had it five minutes before I did, and there'll be a ton of stuff that I've missed. There's a few things that I've picked out I'm really, really keen to ask you about. Um, I think my contention for a while has been that accountants have been very, very good at buying technology. Uh, but we haven't really seen that flow through into solid benefits like revenue and profitability yet. Uh, you feel free to disagree if you if you if you do, but I think yeah, it's still not really materialised. But this report tends to show otherwise, right? That it's starting to happen, probably more at the larger scale where people are applying in, in mid tier to, to large firms where they're getting that benefit across a range of clients. But it's certainly good news, it seems, right? Yeah, I, I really like this concept, and you and I will have talked about this before, Lee, of, of critical mass. Uh, mm. when, when, you're, when you're introducing new technology, and one of the interesting things about cloud is that you can do it quite incrementally, right? Even with, even with compliance software, you could, if you want to, choose to move a block of your clients onto a different compliance tool. But when, when, you, when you do that initially, you are introducing a new way of working, a new workflow, even if it's more efficient, it, it is probably going to initially make you more inefficient. And you do need to be able to reach that point of critical mass where you've got enough of your clients using data capture software or enough of your clients using cloud booking, bookkeeping or enough of your clients being channeled through one compliance workflow before that's going to start to feed through. And it, it, it feels like that that kind of incremental change. I don't, I don't think it's accelerated, but we're we're kind of getting to a point where people are starting to recognise that they are seeing benefits. And I would hope that reports like this will actually start to exponentially increase it because as firms can start seeing that it does translate into profitability, well, therefore it justifies the need for investment into this part of the business. So putting cost and uh, energy behind project management to get this stuff rolled out, speaking to uh, Ryan Pearcy the other day, and he was talking about the fact that um, because his team had an investment behind it, they said, right, we're going to go and do this. It's intentional. We'll think we'll see the benefits. So we're going to put some cash behind and get going. That was instrumental to getting them to where they need to be. And I think when people can see these numbers on these reports, they can then justify to themselves, right, it's worth putting some effort and time and money behind this, right? Yeah, but that's where it's really interesting when you look at the different sizes of firms, because I yeah. think that the the kind of early adopters tended to be smaller firms who were 
agile enough that they could make a decision and say, I'm going to do this. And, and they would just do it. But now what we're starting to see is medium and large firms are the ones that are benefiting more. And I wonder whether that is because they can more easily make that decision to say, we are, we are going to put some resource behind this. We're going to pull someone away from, uh, from other work and get them to focus on driving this change through, through the business. Uh, and that was sort of my working assumption for a long while was that it was the micro firms and the small firms that were really leading ahead with this because it was easier for them to adopt change and it was a bigger challenge for the medium to large firms. But some of the stats in here seem to suggest otherwise, which is really, really interesting. So um, one of the ones that, that, picked out, uh, that I picked out was that only 77% of micro firms are using cloud for bookkeeping which for that category, for that question, was way below the average from the other firms. I think the rest were, were up and over 90%. And so I was really fascinated by that. Do you have any more insight in that in terms of conversations you've had with firms? I think that that probably is just an indicator of how long the tail of really small firms sure. uh, are within accountants and, and uh, accountancy and bookkeeping, right? So, and it, and it is accountancy and bookkeeping in that in that report, and I guess within that very long tail of very small firms, there's a load of diversity. And I think, broadly speaking, my my experience would be that within that you have got people that have been doing it for ages and mm. aren't that interested in growing, changing, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, but then you probably also got people that are that have left a position in a larger firm and want to go and do something completely different. So you you, you probably got you probably got like quite a contrast of profiles within within that kind of sole trader stroke small firm sector, and that is is probably what what what's causing that real difference in adoption. Yeah, I mean I've I've connected a couple of dots here, and I might be misinterpreting it, but. When you see that it is the small firms that are leading in terms of the record keeping service, right? So it tends to be the micro firms that are doing that more than the others. And then you look at the fact that internally, they're, they're probably least likely, maybe part of it is because of that long tail that you've mentioned, but they seem to be least likely to be using cloud bookkeeping tools. And then also, they're also the same bracket that are seeing the lowest increase in, um, in revenue and profit as well. And so for me, it's like, well, they're doing more of this type of work on the whole, they're failing to use cloud technology to deliver it and therefore possibly automate it. And then that's showing a, a sort of stalling in the revenue growth or even decreases in some cases. Like, is, is that my putting the wrong dots together there? Or is that, does that commentary sort of fit with what you're seeing? Yeah. I mean, I, th I think you and I have had this conversation before about disruption, right? Yeah. Uh, and one of, one of the challenges when it comes to change within this sector is that there's no shortage of work and there there isn't always necessarily a desire to grow revenue and to grow profitability and there probably are you know quite a few people that are reasonably happy with the the status quo um and i guess in a world where if you lose a client you'll probably quickly gain another one to replace them the, the the kind of real kick up the backside is not necessarily going to come from the client side of things. Uh, and I, I've been wondering out loud a few times whether actually 
some of the really interesting stuff will come from staff. Mm. But again, if you're at that real kind of small end, then you may not you may not be an employer anyway. So 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 you may not be kind of experiencing any sort of disruption that is making you think, I really really need to do this right now, and that might automatically push you towards the kind of latter latter half of the adoption curve. I noticed medium firms seem to have have really overcome quite a bit of change according to the stats, both around their billing processes and also their client experience as well. I was really interested to see that the medium firms are quite far away, actually, in the rest of the categories in converting these tools into better client experiences, as long as I've interpreted that correctly. Are you, are you seeing some key things that they're doing in that group that other firms, maybe micro firms, can learn from? I was really interested to see that as well, Lee, because I guess when, when you and I were both account managers together, I, I, I guess one of, the, one of the things that I struggled with a little bit is, is medium firms, because they were almost not agile enough to make the decision that a small firm could make to say, I'm just going to do this. And, you know, I, it, the time that is required is not that significant because I've got a smaller number of clients or whatever, and less people convinced, and they weren't large enough to go, I'm going to make someone a cloud champion full time. Uh, so I do think it's really interesting. And I guess the, the only thing that I could say is that it's possibly uh, just time. Maybe, uh, maybe the pandemic has had an impact there. Um, maybe, maybe that has challenged some of the assumptions that I certainly saw, you know, six or seven years ago that people would make about their own clients and their ability to kind of consume this kind of technology. Uh, maybe, maybe, despite the fact that. MTD for it, so it didn't happen. Maybe, maybe some of that kind of regulatory push had an impact as well. I think it's really, really interesting. I remember a slide from the early days of Zero, and there was uh, what there was. You, you probably remember it: the shark and the, the little fish, right? And it's like the, the fast will eat the slow was always the uh, always the thing that we we went to. And, and I guess when you look at the technology world, it makes perfect sense. But I'm wondering, looking at these stats, whether there's a bit of a hare and a tortoise thing going on, right? So the, the quick and the nimble micro firms have adopted or certainly taken on tech, maybe struggled to adopt it, whereas the medium to large firms have taken their time, maybe done it more intentionally, and are now starting to see the benefits. Like, is that a fair, fair assumption, or do you, do you not quite think it's that clear cut? Yeah, well, well that, that shark slide was kind of printed onto the uh, adoption curve, right? Yeah. And if you think about the characteristics of the uh, different segments of that, adoption curve the first people to go are innovators but innovators are not necessarily the people that get the most roi from technology because they kind of are drawn to it like a moth to a light so so they don't necessarily uh, adopt technology with intent to benefit from it they adopt technology because it's shiny and it and it's new so so perhaps there are some people out there like that that uh, are kind of flitting around from one piece of technology to another, whereas early adopters um, and then the early majority do tend to be the people that, that do things more intentionally, albeit a, a bit more conservatively. What do you think is the next stage, right? So after these stats come out and, and people digest them, what do you think the small firms uh, or, or the firms that aren't seeing the profitability and the revenue, what can they learn from their counterparts that are enjoying those benefits? Yeah, so I think there's some some really interesting stuff around uh, services in in the report. So 
um, what, what, what do clients want? How do you, how do you differentiate yourselves? How do you, uh, how do you ensure that you're making, uh, make, making money from your existing client base and, and how can you use technology to do that? Um, I think, uh, there's some commentary in there from Richard Sargent around mm -hmm. kind of the, the, the first stage of cloud adoption being about getting some of your clients onto cloud bookkeeping software. The second stage being about starting to look at internal workflows. Uh, but, but, but I'm kind of thinking ahead about like, what is, what does the third stage look like, which I think is about revisiting those clients and making sure that they're utilizing the technology properly. So, so I think there's some interesting stats around what I would see as like pretty fundamental features of cloud bookkeeping software, bank feeds, uh, data capture tools, payment services tools. And I, I think when, when we look at like the UK versus other markets that, that Xero operates in, we're, we're, we're quite a long way behind on those things. So, 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 so I think there's like a bunch of optimization that needs to happen on the technology front so that people are really set up to deliver. And, and, and that kind of ties into another conversation I've had with you before around like the difference between digitization and digital transformation. So, yeah. so I think it, it's, I, I think a lot of what has happened is that people have transferred existing processes online, uh, and that's, that will deliver, um, a degree of additional profitability because you increase efficiency, but what it, what it doesn't do is fundamentally change the relationship with the client, which is then the, 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 the kind of piece that allows you to um, go on and, and deliver revenue growth. I want to come back to that uh, digitization versus digital transformation in a second. Um, but one of the other stats I just wanted to ask you about before we move on from the report was the, the amount of new client growth across all of the firms. It seems that across the board in this report, all are experiencing growth in, in new clients. It doesn't really seem that any of those categories are losing clients. And so what I'm curious about is, do you think that's because it's zero firms that were being um, surveyed and they're taking maybe clients away from non-zero firms or, or non-digitized firms? Or do we think there's actually an expansion in the amount of clients and the amount of businesses out there and a real growth in the number of of potential clients. Yes, yeah, so we, we, we did survey non-zero firms as well as zero okay. firms. So, uh, I, and I think, you know, there are some statistics in there that in, in the report generally that show why, why zero firms do tend to outperform their peers, but I, I'm, I'm not sure other than like this concept that if you are, if you are somebody that is on zero, you will look for somebody that is a zero expert. Mm. Um, I'm not, I'm, I'm not sure that it's the former I, I do. It, it, it's interesting that it could be the latter in a world where, you know, we have got severe economic challenges and high levels of business closures. So, so perhaps, perhaps, you know, I, I, I read a, a separate report that Accounting Web had produced around capacity, and it seemed like a lot of the strain on capacity is coming from uh, in high, like additional compliance and, and, and regulation. And perhaps that's, that's hitting small businesses as well. 
I also wonder whether, and I, I used to hesitate to use this comparison, but actually a bookkeeper used it with me the other day. I, I, I also wonder whether there are more people that are willing to pay somebody to do something they can't be bothered to do themselves so so like the for the the same reason that you know more people got a cleaner these days then there might be more um demand there um but it it yeah it's it's fascinating to me that that like whatever happens to the economy there seems to be no shortage of work in this small business space for accountants absolutely um and so I'm very grateful. I got a bit of an advanced copy of this and it was about two hours before we started recording, which I think was probably two hours and five minutes before you got the final version. So it was really good of you to get that across to me. But I've had a good rummage through and there's, there's notes. I, I've, I've found some stuff, but certainly there'll be some insights in there that I've missed. What I'm really curious about is is what are the things that you picked out from this that you find really interesting? Good question. So there, there are a few things. Uh, one of the things that uh, that jumped out at me is that bookkeeping is often the biggest revenue stream for accountants and bookkeepers. So if if you remember, you know, seven or eight years ago when you and I were working together, I think it would would be fairly common for an accountant to turn their nose up at bookkeeping work. Absolutely. Uh, so so that's really interesting. And again, to link that back to technology, you wonder whether that's because those kind of uh, data capture and bookkeeping and compliance workflows are now kind of intrinsically linked, whereas in the past they were quite distinct from each other. Uh, I guess like I, I, I'm really interested in, in the talent stuff. So, so like I think most, most firms would put the ability to attract and retain talent somewhere near the top of their list of challenges. And I, I think it's really interesting. Like I, I've I've always kind of I've I was always kind of said, look, like if I was just coming out of university now and I joined a firm, really excited to start work my first day in a, an accountancy practice, and I had grown up, you know, using all sorts of technology, and somebody put sixty pages of bank statement on my desk and said, type this into an Excel spreadsheet, I, I'd probably think, what what on earth have I signed up to here? Uh, and it is interesting that we're starting to see like job satisfaction being ranked more highly with those firms that are kind of engaging more with cloud technology. And then I, one, of, one of our big interests at Zero is, is like connecting these workflows. So, so those firms that are using um, some kind of data capture tool, which flows into Zero, which flows into uh, Zero Tax, you know, accounts production tax, overseen by Zero Practice Manager and then ecosystem tools that those seem to be the firms that are reg- registering the, the highest levels of job satisfaction. Uh, so that was, that that was really interesting. And then I guess the last point is probably just back to that that idea of like like bank feeds. Like, like bank feeds are a pretty basic tool, and we have pretty low levels of adoption given that we've got open banking in the UK. And I think. Mean, I, I mean, feels like a bit of a call to action for us and and hopefully for our partners as well, like quite a, quite a basic way that you can improve that flow of information between the client and and yourself and uh, make things easier for them. And, and that job satisfaction was a really stark stat on the report. And obviously the medium and larger firms are, are, are really running away with that, which again, I was very, very surprised to see such a difference. 
Do you think that all comes down to workflow and things like bank fees? Or do you think that those firms are doing other things to ensure that their team are, are feeling really good about the work that they're doing? comes down to workflow and technology. I think those are enablers for making the work more interesting. So, so I think I, I, I imagine it's about what you're being asked to do on a day-to-day -day basis. I mean, I've, I've, I've talked before about, uh, about drive. Uh, I'm sure you've read that book and you know, you, you kind of got to take money off the table first. Like money is important to people and you've got to acknowledge that, but, but then uh it, it's kind of about autonomy it's about purpose uh like those, those are those are like two two big things for me so uh I, I i wonder whether like those medium and large firms are managing to tune their staff into you know this is this is why we exist and this is your part in it it's di di difficult to tell yeah absolutely i mean is there anything from from the firms that you're working with that you're hearing them saying look we're being intentional about the mission we're being intentional about values we're communicating more or is it is that something i guess that you'll see over over the next period of time as you, as you maybe follow up on these results i think that people are, are are definitely being more deliberate and have got the time and resource in that kind of in the large firm space about talent strategies and about saying what what is our employer brand why should why should somebody want to come and work for us and why will somebody stay? And then like, like, I guess the things that kind of flow out of that are multiple, right? Whether it's employee benefits, whether it's about purpose, whether it's pay, whether it's about offices, um, whether it's about flexible working, all of that kind of stuff. Yeah, absolutely. And um, I suppose bigger in scope than we've got, to, <laughs> got time to cover today. So like, moving back to that point that you mentioned a minute ago, then about uh, digitization versus digital transformation, just expand on that a little bit. What does that, what does that mean for anyone that doesn't know? Yeah. So uh, I guess digitization is really about using new technology to do the same thing more efficiently. Um, so at, at, at zero, we see this a lot where people have got below the VAT threshold, they'll have. A load of clients who show up once a year with a spreadsheet or a bag full of records and the conversation with them is often about, well, how do we make that efficient for you in terms of how, how you process those records once a year so that you can produce a set of accounts and a tax return. But for the, for the client, nothing has really changed there. They still show up once a year with a bag full of rubbish or, uh, or, or a spreadsheet. Uh, they may get chased for that information in a slightly different way, but but in terms of the service that they get and the experience that they get, it's 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 pretty much the same. Uh, and I think that 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 kind of concept of digitization is debatable. I guess the big debate is: does that need to happen before you before you digitally transform, and then? Are there batches of clients who are just happy as they are and will never need to uh, change the relationship that they have with their accountant or bookkeeper? Uh, but I guess digital transformation is about taking the technology and transforming the relationship with the client. So the client noticing a difference, whether that's you know the frequency with which they 
interact with their accountant, the, um, the, the outputs that they get from their accountant. And, uh, I guess it's harder, right? Because the minute that the client is involved in that change process, you've kind of got a job to do to bring the client along with you as well as a, as, as well as your, your kind of practice staff. Yeah, 100%. Like it's it's infinitely easier to tarmac an existing road and make it a bit smoother than it is to go and like plow a completely new one. But what we're seeing here is that that's where the benefits are, right? If if indeed you're interested in growing revenue, growing profitability as a firm, which like we've said, not everybody is, and that's fine. But if that's the direction you want to go in, it is going to be plowing that new new road. And so with the firms that you've worked with that have successfully done that, that they've switched from whether they've digitized first and then moved over or whether they went straight down that route, what are the characteristics in those firms that really set them up for success with that? So do you remember when we used to do disk profiling, Lee, at Zero? Yeah. So for, for those people who might be listening to this that aren't aware, it's about looking at kind of working styles and you answer a bunch of questions and uh, then you're kind of put into a bracket, either D, I, S or C, and D is kind of, direct and to the point which is probably me uh i is kind of influence and uh loving spending time with people and gregarious and, and that sort of thing c is kind of compliance oriented so liking to follow a process and s is kind of service oriented uh, and the reason i mention that is because i think people assume that a lot of people running firms of accountants are quite compliance oriented that's not my my experience is that they're very service oriented and actually they are um, pretty passionate about the service that they deliver to their clients or what their, their clients perceive of them, but also to their staff as well. And I think uh, the people that do this successfully kind of resist the view that rocking the boat with clients and staff is always a bad thing. So they are they, they probably do tend to be in this terms, a little less service oriented and a bit more willing to kind of make make things happen. And I do think that that debate is interesting. I've seen it, I've, you know, I've, I've seen the debate about should, there be, should you have a single platform, should you not have a single platform? Again, we probably don't have time to go into that and discuss that today. But, but, but I, I think fu fundamentally, the, the people that do this well understand that the software that they know best is probably going to be best for their clients and they're not afraid to advise them to move on to it and they invest in making sure that they've got the expertise within their firm to uh, advise people on how to get the most out of it for example like like in that report payment services like pa payment services is such a an obvious and easy way to add value to your to your clients you know get them get them paid more quickly make sure that they're offering a more kind of professional service to, to their clients. Uh, but adoption levels are pretty low, but I think you'd find you know, in, in those people that have kind of digitally transformed their practice and the service that they're offering, that the, the adoption rates of payment services would probably be pretty high. So, so it sounds like if I'm stuck then, if I'm, I think I really want to go this new route of, I actually want to increase the um, client experience. I want to start looking at payments, profitable stuff, but I'm stuck where I am. It's maybe getting over that hurdle of of being more prescriptive to the client, being prepared to be more prescriptive to the client about the way it's working. And I suppose it makes sense, right? Because you wouldn't go into many businesses 
and you tell them how it's going to work. Like I wouldn't go into a carpet shop and tell them how they're going to fit the carpet, right? They're going to say, right, this is how we're going to do it. And you either buy it or you don't. I think accountancy is a bit of a strange beast from that perspective, isn't it? Where it's like, well, we'll, we'll try and be accommodating. But if you're uncomfortable doing that, like, would you would you advocate for bringing people into the team to drive this that are more of a, of a D or a C profile as opposed to the S? If, if like you're not comfortable doing that, would you bring in people around you or is it a, just just learning to get over it and get it done? I mean, perhaps, uh, is it, like one, one of the things that I find really interesting about accountancy as someone that has been in sales uh, for my entire career is how few business development professionals exist within the sector, like regardless of the size of the firm. Uh, so, so I think, you know, that there are arguments that there might be like in certainly in larger firms, some skill sets that you could invest in to make this stuff a little bit easier. But equally, I think that I would advocate people taking a helicopter view of their client base and trying to figure out where their wins are rather than trying to kind of organically approach each and every client at year end because like the the reality is just slightly touching on that single platform i think if, if you're any kind of like decent size of firm it's, it's probably unlikely that you will achieve single platform status even if you want uh in in any kind of reasonable time scale so you, you've got to you've got to figure out how do i how do i how do i get to that point of critical mass when it comes to adoption technology and how do i go beyond that and what what does good look like and then what's my easiest route to to get there yeah absolutely and it's not always an easy thing to do is it i think again more so than a lot of businesses i feel that accountants and bookkeepers struggle to extract themselves and look at the business almost as a third party that that cliche of working on the business rather than in it right it seems i don't know don't know why but it seems to be a really really difficult thing for them to do yeah i wonder whether that will change a little bit I, I guess with some of the kind of private equity investment that you're seeing in accountancy, you're you're seeing the kind of management models changing a little bit in some of the larger firms, and you're seeing people move into more kind of corporate structures rather than uh, rather than the, the kind of partnership model. And I, I think the partnership model can can hold people back sometimes because they they see that they are running a business within a business, and then you never really benefit from the economies of scale that you should do from the size of the uh the overall partnership i was at a bit of a loose end and had time on my hands the other week while i was waiting for my car to be repaired and while i was pottering about in costa i just started knocking some numbers around and tried thinking about an accountancy firm through the lens of a SaaS sales leader right and you look at the recurring revenue the um the the length of the the time of a customer um and the sort of profit margins and stuff involved and it, it seems really lucrative, right? And it's not a surprise that so much money is coming into it. And I wonder if businesses like accountancy and bookkeeping firms will start to become the the darlings of, of, of investors where software has been in the past. And at the moment, we're sort of seeing maybe a step from that a little bit because of sort of economic factors. But it seems, and I've kind of put some numbers together and no one really challenged me too much on the numbers, but where people came back and said, well, the reason we aren't growing that fast either we don't want to, like it's a lifestyle business or... We just can't get the capacity and the, and the people power to, to sort of drive that forward. Which I thought at a time when you've got s such a plethora of tools for automation and ways to make the work very interesting through, through those tools as well, it seems strange to me that capacity is still an issue. Uh, but maybe that's a naive point of view. I don't know. 
what 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 do you think on that side of things yeah it's a big topic i i, I guess you know if i was being kind then i would say i understand that there will be a proportion of business owners within any kind of smb space and let's let, let's remember like accountants and bookkeepers are smbs themselves who uh effectively own their job or uh have a lifestyle business or you know are just just happy where they are as long as they can pay their mortgage and for a pint and a curry on a friday night or what whatever uh, i guess the only thing that i would challenge about that that i find slightly worrying is that if i put myself in the shoes of a client who does have that desire to to grow and to do big things i probably want to see that in my advisor as well but but i, I think I, you know i i read the thread that you put on linkedin and i thought it was really interesting and it did seem to be that people didn't necessarily challenge the opportunity it's more the mindset of people to go and grab it and 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 i guess ability to kind of invest in the the right skills to go and do so as well again i find, I find that you know coming back to that point about like sales and marketing capability i've spoken to lots and lots of firms who are doing really good things when it comes to the brand and, and marketing and it always strikes me that you probably in 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 this marketplace you probably don't have to do much to do things better and to start to capitalize on that opportunity as well another thread that i posted or a poll recently i asked accountants what percentage if you're a qualified accountant what percentage of your day-to-day -day tasks can only be done by you right and and it was really low which suggests that the qualified staff are there they're just tied up with other other work and so there are ways to to get around the capacity issue so for sales and marketing organizations came in and said look we like these the the you know the the inherent opportunity in in the sort of financials of accounting practices we've got the sales and marketing capability we can we can figure out the resourcing because if you were a back business like early early days with zero if we said well we can't get the staff well, we'll just go and solve it right it's a it's a problem to be solved on the way to growth and I wonder if if fairly aggressive parties may come in and start to overtake some of those lifestyle firms and and sort of rob them of that lifestyle business is is sort of my worry. I think. Yeah, I, I'm not sure because again, there seems to be so much work out there. I'd I'd also say that one of the reasons that accountancy in particular is appealing to uh, external investors is not just like not just the growth potential and and the kind of fragmented market that exists and the potential for growth through M&A. But I think it's about the the business model and the fact that it does kind of generate often pretty predictable cash flows and, and like the, the kind of relationships that accountants have with their clients and the, whether that's contractually or personally, uh, do tend to mean that people are going to change pretty infrequently. I, re I remember a few years ago, we we conducted a piece of research. We didn't do a load with it. I think we did a session at one Zircon on it. And we went and kind of uh, conducted an NPS survey with small businesses uh, about their accountants. And like the thing that was really interesting for me about that piece of work is that a lot of people were not necessarily satisfied with their accountant, but when you asked them if they were going to leave, they said no. Uh, and uh, I guess, you know, you could look at that quite positively and go, well, 
you know, what a resilient business model you've got, it's banking or, or whatever. Uh, but on, on the other hand, for those people that do want to grow they and, and are relying on word of mouth to do so, they might be relying on people that don't quite enjoy the service getting from them as much as they thought, just because they assume you know, they'd leave if they weren't that happy. Yeah, I suppose the, the positive way to look at that is, yes, resilient business model. The pessimistic way, and, and probably I'd confess this is the way I'm going to look at it, is that that sets the conditions for complacency, which sets the stage for mass disruption, right? Um, and that's what we saw, I think, in the tech space where the incumbent vendors thought, well, people aren't going to leave. One day they will, right? One day something will come up and it, it becomes a bit of a shock. And I think as we've seen with those um, incumbents, takes a good few years to recover right yeah but i i i still think particularly in that medium and large space the disruption that is and will continue to happening will, will continue to happen is more around staff and i've seen this time and time again you get you get a zero champion leaving a firm who is not taking investment in technology seriously because frankly they're fed up and they go somewhere else and that creates two firms who are probably taking technology more seriously. Ian, we could chat about this all day. It's an absolutely fascinating topic. The, uh, the report is out today. Um, and where can people go and find that if they want to have a look at some of the, the talking points that we've discussed? So we'll be uh, emailing it out to our partners that signed up to marketing emails. And uh, there will be a blog on the Zero blog. Nice, fantastic. And if anyone wants to follow you or find out more about your work and what you're up to, what is the best place for them to do that? Uh, best place is LinkedIn. I'm also on Twitter. For those of you that are interested in my more random witterings, which is iPips101. Nice, fantastic. Ian, thanks so much for your time. I really appreciate it. Good to see you, Lee.